Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Plant School Podcast. I'm Rachel, and here we learn about plants, how to care for them, how they work, and I keep it simple and taught in a way that anyone from beginner to expert can enjoy. Join me in Plant School. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Plant School. So glad you guys are here. Today is episode 57, and I'm going to be going over how to care for a cast iron plant. Now, as I got into this one, I knew it had some good history in it, right? And I was not disappointed. I found some really fascinating stuff, and I think this is one plant that is just underrated, and it's has a lot to do with some of its cultural history that it was kind of forced into. So what is a cast iron plant, right? So its scientific name is Aspidistra elatior, and it's also, like I said, known as the cast iron plant, or the iron plant, or the ballroom plant. Most have just like these solid lance-shaped glossy green leaves, honestly like not too much to look at. It almost looks like a peacefully minus the lilies. Some can have white spots on them or yellow green to white stripes. So there are different varieties of them. Some of the more popular ones are variegata, asahi, hashizora, or linen song. And these plants, they do flower, but uh, I've seen a picture of them. They are nothing stunning to look at, guys. So it's like this little purplish brown little guy, little flower. It's very close to the soil sometimes like halfway into the soil and it often goes unnoticed. And the reason why they grow down there is because they are pollinated by fungus gnats. You think about them being down there, they're probably covered by leaf litter, at least if they live outside. Maybe not so much if they are a houseplant in your home, but they resemble a mushroom to the fungus gnat and they emit kind of this musty mushroom odor and that attracts in the fungus gnats. They get covered in pollen and that's how they pollinate and reproduce, which is really interesting. Not a whole lot of plants I can think of that reproduce that way, especially in the houseplant world. So Aspidistra, they look very similar to the peace lily, like I mentioned before, but the individual leaves, they grow directly out of the soil, while the peacefully, they kind of grow in multiple leaves stemming from one spot. I know this because that is the only way I could tell the difference when I when I was taking my interior plant class in college. I, I wasn't super familiar with all of the plants, and I just kind of had to go off of that, that 
cast iron plants, their leaves are coming right out of the soil, but not so for the Pisili. They are a part of the Asparagaceae family, the asparagus family, and it previously was the Lily family or the Liliaceae family, but they were reclassified in 2016. That's like one thing about the plant world that just not annoys me, but is kind of hard to keep track of. Things are being reclassified all the time because half the articles I read were like, it's in the lily family and the other half said the asparagus family. And I was so confused. And it's because it was literally changed in 2016, not that long ago. That happens all the time in the plant world. There can be confusion because sometimes people aren't familiar with the newest information. So these plants, they're pretty slow growing. Their mature height is around two feet. And that's kind of them in a nutshell. What's the appeal of the cast iron plant, right? I mentioned how they aren't really much to look at. They aren't very pretty. Their flowers, you know, are attracting fungus gnats because they smell musty. Like, why, why, why were they popular? Like, why did people like them in the first place? So, the reason is they are very hardy plants, meaning they can survive in almost any condition. They kind of do better when there's a hands-off approach. Kind of like the snake plant. When you forget about your snake plant and don't water it a ton, I feel like they do better, right? They kind of love the neglect. The same thing goes for cast iron plants or aspidistras. They're also non-toxic to dogs and cats, so that's another appeal to these plants. And diving in to my favorite section about houseplants and learning about them is their history. They're native to Asia, specifically Japan and Taiwan, and they're known to grow on some southern Japanese islands. They were brought to Europe in the 1820s, and it quickly got its name of the cast iron plant, and this is because it thrived really well in the Victorian homes with their cold drafts, really poor air quality because they had oil lit and gas lit homes. And according to the Oxford English Dictionary at the time, these plants became a symbol of full middle class respectability, in their words. Whatever that means. Do we have a plant for that today in 2022? If you guys have any idea of what today's plant would be to represent full middle-class respectability. I don't know if you'd want that title. Like, look at me, thriving in the middle class with my fiddle leaf fig. I feel like fiddle leaf figs are the it plant of, I don't know, like the past couple of years. Are they still the it plant? I still don't have one. Anyways, moving on, the aspidistras started to appear in a broad range of nursery catalogs in the 1860s, though they weren't always cheap. So, in one catalog in William Bull's Nursery, which is in Chelsea, they were selling a variety of aspidistras, and they were charging 10 shillings and 6 pence, and this was 1861. I had to do a lot of research about ancient coinage. Okay, it's not ancient. About old coinage in the UK because I have no idea what the worth of 10 shillings and 6 pence was. In fact, it only said 10s and 6d. And I was like, what does that even mean? But I dove into Google and that in today's dollars is about 63 pounds or 85 US dollars. So I know it's like not a ton, especially with 
all you people out there who spend a lot more on rare plant varieties, but $85 for this kind of very average looking plant to me seems a little, a little out there. Like, I think you could get this plant today at your nursery for $20, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but no more than 30 But they were charging in the 1860s about $85. Moving on, in the 1881 Robinson's Journal, The Garden, they claimed that the Aspidistra was the best indoor plant. So this is like at the peak of its popularity, right? In the 1800s, they were, like I said, the it plant for the middle class. And in 1898, The Gardener's Chronicle, they noted that we know of no manual on the cultivation of the Aspidistra. So basically, we have no guide on how to take care of this plant. But then they added, but no gardener of even moderate experience should need one. So basically saying, <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to tell you how to take care of this plant because it is so easy to take care of. And later on in 1936, George Orwell, he's the guy who wrote, you know, Animal Farm, 19, is it 1984? But he wrote a satirical novel called Keep the Aspidistra Flying. And like I said, this was 1936, and he used the Aspidistra as a symbol of stuffy Victorian middle-class society. So a very sharp turn from where it was seen in the 1800s. It was seen as easy and the best indoor plant. And it was, you know, it was a symbol of full middle-class respectability. And now... Here's George Orwell making fun of this plant. And I would go over the whole story of George Orwell's novel, but it, it didn't have much to do with Aspidistras besides it kind of just, in the end of the book, using it as a symbol of a stuffy Victorian middle class. You had to have it to be seen as respectable. To further its unpopularity now because they were being so overused. They became a music hall joke just because they were often seen in music halls and it even appeared in a song called The Biggest Aspidistra in the World by Gracie Fields. And I'm going to read you some of the lyrics. I thought they were interesting. I'm just going to read like the first verse, which is kind of long, not too long, don't worry. I'm not going to read you the entire song because I don't feel like it's entirely relevant. So here we go. She sings, for years we had an aspidistra in a flower pot. On the whatnot near the a stand in the all, it didn't seem to grow till one day our brother Joe had a notion that he'd make it strong and tall. So he's crossed it with an acorn from an oak tree and he's planted it against the garden wall. It shot up like a rocket till it's nearly reached the sky. It's the biggest aspidistra in the world. We couldn't see the top of it. It got so bloomin' high. It's the biggest aspidistra in the world. This song actually inspired the British Secret Service to name its World War II transmitter that disrupted the enemy's communications, aspidistra, because it was seen as this really hardy, hard-to-kill plant. But like I said, they started to fall out of popularity, and it continued in the 20th century following electric lighting. It also didn't really fit into the new streamlined style of interior design 
they started to go towards rubber plants and cacti next and the aspidistra just kind of fell out of it. That happens a lot. You know, that's just how styles go. They come and they go. This plant is not only used as an interior plant, but it can be used in a landscape. It's mostly used as a ground cover under trees and hard to grow areas and they can survive anything above 23 degrees Fahrenheit. Obviously, you can't go too hot. That's no plant can survive, right? But you know what I mean. Their grow zones are about 7 to 11. So if you happen to know your grow zone where you live and you are in the range 7 through 11, you could plant this plant into your yard. And it's used very commonly in floral design. I had like an aha moment while doing this podcast episode because I, for a very short time, worked at a floral shop, and we had aspidistra leaves, and it was just, that was one of our main common greeneries, was aspidistra leaves, or fern leaves, or some more, like, wispy, kind of like asparagus fern-like leaves, but I never knew that they were aspidistra leaves, so when I was looking at pictures and seeing them in floral design, my mind clicked, and I was like, Oh my goodness, I used those so much and I had no idea that it was aspidistra. So they're super common in floral design. And the aspidistra has gained the Royal Horticultural Society's Award of Garden Merit. Basically, this just means that it does really well in UK growing conditions. So if you happen to live in the UK, you have the Royal Horticultural Society's stamp of approval to have this in your garden. And that kind of wraps up the majority of its history. So now we're going to dive into the care of our aspidistras or our cast iron plants. So where do you put them in your home? They do well in bright and direct sunlight, but they can be in low light as well, right? That's why they were so popular in the 1800s was because they could survive in low light conditions. That doesn't necessarily mean that they will love it there and thrive there, so I would recommend bright indirect sunlight to medium light. The one thing that you should note that's important is to keep it out of direct sunlight. If it gets too much sun, it can cause leaf burn. It could cause the leaf to dry out completely. They just don't handle a ton of sun very well. They can handle cold drafts very well, on the other hand, though, and temperatures anywhere in the range from 45 degrees to 85 degrees Fahrenheit are just fine for this plant. I have no idea why your house would be as cold as 45 degrees. If it is, I am so sorry. I assume you live somewhere cold like Canada. (laughs) Just kidding. If there's any Canadians, I don't mean it but I've never lived there. Maybe your houses are that cold. I don't know. But just so you know, an aspidistra could survive in that. And like I said, they they will survive even down to like 23 degrees Fahrenheit. It's just not ideal, of course, for them to get that cold. So how to go about watering them? They are very forgiving to underwatering, kind of like a snake plant, but overwatering can be detrimental. I would probably chalk this up to being its biggest killer is because I feel like people want to care for a plant, they want to water it, and that's often the cause of the plant dying. So they they hate wet potting mix. That's a big no-no for them. They do well with distilled, filtered, or rainwater. It's not absolutely necessary, but if you are just a gung-ho 
plant enthusiast, you are more than welcome to use distilled, filtered, or rainwater. And when you do water them, just make sure the top few inches are dry before watering. I'm a big believer in feeling the soil, just putting your finger into the soil, and if it feels moist or wet, skip a few days of watering. Wait until it feels dry to go ahead and water. And over and under watering can cause brown leaf tips, so if you do notice that, that could be one of the causes. So what soil is best? For an aspidistra, they prefer rich, well-draining soil, but a standard potting mix should work great for them. You don't need to go making a special mix or anything like that. So when does it need to be repotted? I would say only repot these plants if absolutely necessary. Roots are coming out the bottom. It just seems super top heavy or the soil is drying out really rapidly it usually takes about three to five years and this is because this plant is a very slow growing plant and it may have a few leaves turn yellow after repotting just because this plant needs time to adjust it's kind of like how ficuses like fiddle leaf figs or a benjamin ficus when you repot them or move them they lose a few leaves just because they're sensitive that's kind of how the aspidistra is as well when it comes to fertilizing them it's best to feed them monthly in the months that it's actively growing for some people that's spring and summer for others that could even be winter because they're getting a lot more sun coming through their south facing windows and i recommend using a 20-20-20 fertilizer, or even a 10-10-10. Those numbers are just referring to the NPK value or the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium value in your fertilizer. Those are the three macronutrients that your plant needs. And just getting a balanced one for the aspidistra of a 20-20-20 or a 10-10-10 is perfect for this plant. Too much fertilizer can kill the plant just like any other plant and this is specific to the aspidistra over fertilization can cause it to lose its variegation so if you don't want that to happen do not over fertilize your plant so can the aspidistra or the cast iron plant be propagated yes they can they can be divided just like the pisali can be exactly because they both grow via rhizomes those are underground stems and so what you do is you go in there and you can either cut through the roots with like a sharp knife or you can gently pull them apart just make sure that each divided part has two plus leaves it can have a lot more than two just no less and plant it in fresh potting mix and keep the soil moist with good drainage again they don't like just sitting wet soil, so make sure that that's not happening with a propagated aspidistra. All right, we're coming to the end here. What kind of pest does the cast iron plant deal with? In general, they don't deal with a lot. Insects and diseases don't bother this plant too much, which is great. Sometimes, though, spider mites and scale can afflict this plant. So if you do notice this happening... To get rid of these pests, you can rinse the plant with water, or you can use neem oil or an insecticidal soap. Humidity can really help spider mites not be a problem in the first place because spider mites thrive in hot and dry environments. 
And last thing, just some extra tips I have for you guys about caring for the cast iron plant or the aspidistra. They need dusting. Wipe those leaves every now and then. They are large. They can collect a lot of dust and a lot of dust sitting on a plant's leaf can interfere with photosynthesis, right? The sun can't just magically get through all of that dust. It needs to be wiped off. And then my last tip is to snip off any yellowing leaves. It doesn't need much more pruning than that, to be honest, because it is a slower growing plant. It's not in need of heavy maintenance. With my peacefully, I know I go through that thing and I'll kind of thin it out every now and then, but that's not really the case for the aspidistra in general. And that is it for caring for an aspidistra or cast iron plant. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. I hope you learned something new and I hope you guys will join me next week. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for being here and listening today and I hope you'll join me next week. If you'd like to support this podcast and keep it going, you can find the support link below in the description and donate. Or I have some awesome plant school merch, including stickers, shirts, and mugs. And the link to my shop is in the description as well. And if you don't want to spend any money but still support the podcast, share this podcast with a friend either verbally or electronically. This will even qualify you for my giveaway. Just message me on Instagram at tinnyplant that you shared the podcast with a friend and you'll be entered in for a chance to win some goodies. Winners will be announced on the podcast. Again, thank you for listening and I hope you have a great week.